This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. You're not exactly gentle, are you, man? Pain is good for you. You gotta keep your mouth shut. So what's the deal with your eye, man? Or is that just for effect? This? This was payment for a tattoo that I did for Baby Doc while he was running Haiti. He didn't like the story that his body had to tell, so he took out my eye with a salad fork. Oh, shit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the How Not to Make a Movie Podcast. I'm Alan Katz. And I'm Gil Adler. This is a, uh, a kind of a Tales from the Crypt reunion show. Rick Boda was one of our DPs over many, many seasons. I think he's got 20 episodes to his credit. And some of the best episodes of the whole series, uh, Billy Friedkin's episode is uh, Rick shot that. Food for Thought, the uh, the circus episode that was uh, was his. Uh, the Cage, uh, The Pit was, was a, a Rick Boda episode. He's a lovely person. And he worked with Gary Fleeter and he worked with uh, Walter Hill. Oh, and, and and he and I worked together quite frequently on the wraparounds. For that's the- right. You shot the wraparounds together. Yeah. And that collaboration was one of the best. Really- right. and he's, he was one of the best cinematographers I think I've worked with. Right. In addition to, to uh, uh, Kevin Yeager directed the wraparounds, you directed some of the wraparounds. And towards the end, actually, Rick Boda. Rick did. Yeah. Directed, yeah. and, and as he'll tell you, that's that's how he got into the DGA. So without further ado, here's Rick. I did not know you were a, a, a doctor's kid. <laughs> I, I, I grew up a doctor's kid, too. My dad was a surgeon. You know, my, my dad always had a credit on, on the show. He was our, our medical consultant. That's so cool. And, I did uh, know that. That's yeah, really But yeah, yeah. in like the final way, way back when in the scrolling credits. Yeah. He, he, he's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, I think my dad shot a sequence with the Crypt Keeper. He is, he is, I, 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 the Crypt Keeper does something to, to, to my father in one of the Crypt Keeper segments. And, oh my God, that's amazing. You know, it, it's funny, having been a doctor's kid, there was a certain expectation when I was growing up, that I would be a doctor too. Did, did you face that? Well, so interesting you would say that. I always say when I was born, it was like, is it a boy or a girl? It's a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, I, I was, you know, it's funny. My, um, my nephew, my brother's um, youngest, actually, is in his third year of medical school right now. And he's the first one of all of us, because I had a sister and two brothers. Nobody went into medicine. But yeah, I was destined to be, but I don't know what, how you, how your path went, Alan, but mine was just, I was always a, a creative mind and an artist, but in the 60s and early 70s in my grade school and in high school, you didn't nourish art, you know, it wasn't like, oh, this, this kid's got some talent. Right. It was like, no, no, just keep plugging away at bio and yeah, yeah. you'll get it, right. you'll get it. I, I sucked at math. I couldn't. 
anything that has just one answer, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I can't be part of that. that kind of killed my ability to do science because you needed to have the math. And so my, my parents saw that, that that probably was not going to be my path. Mine didn't really. <laughs> now they're cool, but it was 20 years into my career of, you know, of filmmaking when it was still, you know, you can still <laughs> apply. <laughs> you can still find a real job. It's it, it's funny, you know, my even, hey, producing a show, writing and producing a hit TV show and having my parents come visit the set. My dad spent lots of time on the set. You know, sometimes Lee Webb would, would, would put them to work, you know, if they needed a, a remote uh, buzzer on, on a door, someone to just, you know, open the door now. Lee would give that job to my dad whenever he'd visit the set. My father sort of kind of saw what I did. When people would ask them socially, what does Alan do? He'd shrug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, uh, they both caught on after seeing a few things broadcast. You know, like whatever the first ones in an actual credit comes comes up is like, oh, oh, you actually are. Yeah, yeah. And then when the operating or first assistant went to DP and I'd get a front credit, I think that was the change. Was like, oh wait, <laughs> even they didn't understand what a front credit was. It somehow made sense and and softened the fall. When I started out, um, my parents had no idea what I did for a living. I was in New York and I was off Broadway. And I was trying to produce plays. And so one day my dad comes over to the house and I go, okay, let me see if I can help you here. Here's my diary of my work. And I just want you to open it at random and I'll go through that day with you. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe then I'll understand. So I go through the whole day, he picks his page and I go, okay, I get up at six o'clock in the morning. I got to get on the phone because uh, I've, I've read people that I'm talking with in, in Switzerland and they're ahead of us. So I got to get up at six so I can speak to them because by then it's two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I do this and then I do Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Was the response. And then I meet with these writers and we have this writers meeting and then we did it. And that's my day. I, I finished like around seven or eight in the evening. And my dad said, oh, and I said, so so now do you do you get it? Do you see it? And he said, yeah, I really do. But I just have one question. I said, what's that? He goes, what do you do for a living? <laughs> to the yeah. end. To the end. Right. Yeah. Right. It's it's just a foreign concept to them. All right, so you were a creative person. Was it was it movies, theater at first that drew you? Bob Seger's got a great song, UMC, uh, Upper Middle Class. You know, mm -hmm. it was just in even in Flint, um, there was always classes, and we all did different. My other two brothers were sports related or whatever. You know, we all did hockey, being the good Canadians. Sure, sure, but sure. I was always enrolled and enjoyed art classes. I had sculpting and oil painting and sketching. And I mean, like the Flint Institute of Arts, when I was probably 12, I remember riding my bike there on Saturday mornings. But again, it just was never, all the pictures were framed and all the ceramics were put on a shelf somewhere, but it was just not, some, it wasn't a considered, wasn't considered like a, you know, a goal to be, to go into that art, into that field. And by the way, in Flint nowadays, kids, my daughter knows, most kids know filmmaking, film business. Mm -hmm. It never, I never knew about it, never thought about it. And so my hobby became, my dad was kind of a gadget, had a Super 8 camera. My dad had a lot of still cameras and he bought me, I still have it, 
Oh, my, I think it was my 13th birthday, my Canon FTB. So I I documented with real film, 35 millimeter, a lot of my childhood, but this yeah. led to a dark room. And so I spent a good part of my junior high in a dark room, you know, doing processing my own black and white. Okay. So and it was photography that 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 brought you in. It still no. It's photography is the base of no, what check this out. So it was the photography is the base of all of my creative like endeavors late later. You know, like when I went into cinematography, it was sort of like, oh, wow, I kind of know how to do this. But I was still going through, you know, the routine of bio. I, I, I was a bio major at University of Michigan. Well, not a major. I ended up going oh, you, through you, a you were, you were fighting it, weren't you? No, I was really swimming upstream hard. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, and here and it still never occurred to me. And in my junior year. I roomed with a guy that I just spoke to this morning, actually. We FaceTimed just to say hi, you know, ever 40-year 40 40 friendship. Yeah, yeah. Five. He was in the film school at U of M. And I remember, like, sitting up trying to figure out how many answers there were to the math and the, and the chemistry and calculus. And, oh. and he's, like, cutting films and pre planning projects. So Mike, who's a, one of my best friends, one weekend he was doing a student film and I went out, I was actually in his student film. And then I think I shot a few. And then we used to start getting equipment, early video equipment, big Sony with the half inch reel to reel we oh, carry yeah. around the deck. Sure, sure. We still have some footage somewhere. And that's in my junior year, end of junior year, I was like, wait a second. What what's that? I didn't even know that there was a way you could make a living, or that's an industry. So um, after I after I graduated from U of M, I went. I just started sniffing around. I really in Detroit in the Detroit market, which was like the industrial market. That's where it all kind of started. I For sure. I did what all you know. What I hope I don't know if it's a lost art is working your way up. Tried to get my foot in the door. What can I do? PA in an office, PA on a set. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, and that's when I started looking around. I remember shooting some Tony Richmond. Remember that? there was He was a music video guy, but a commercial director, a commercial shooter. I remember on a stage in Southfield, Michigan, shooting a Chevy commercial or something. And, there, you know, the blimped, airy BL and mm -hmm. microphones and lights. And that's when, as a PA. Yeah, yeah. Just remember looking going okay i think i know what i'm gonna do and that was when i started doing the full court press and saying okay let's see if we can make this work you know you you were a late bloomer in part because there was so much so many walls that were trying to keep you away from 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 where you need, needed to head yeah but, you know, like, again, it was just always it just the way that it was. It was getting a degree in yeah. <laughs> a real degree. So so late bloomer, how did you wind up become a cinematographer? I started being a, uh, a focus puller. I met two guys. I met so many names across along the way. But um, Ralph, I can't remember his last name, but he had a little company and I knocked. I was <laughs> American Film House started with an A. Her production company, 
And whether there was ABC films or American Film House, I went in, met him, and he said, yeah, we I do an occasional industrial film. Come on in. And and I met a couple of guys, and that's when I became one of them. Peter Klein is still a good friend this, to this day. I became his focus puller and a CP-16. And then I started working my way up. I started calling myself somewhere. I have still my little cards that, by the way, were done on what, like, with a, what would we call those artists? It was like a graphic artist would do those little, you'd have a card made and they'd have to do it and layer it. And you'd yeah, it to- yeah, 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 yeah. When you started working in movies, did, did that change how you saw movies, how you watched them? No, because it was the industrial market and a really great place to learn. But there was no, you know, it was like a, a we do a 20 minute film on a wing nut mm-hmm. from the Ford, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whatever it was back then. Yeah, yeah. And we did, I did a bunch of, we to, we did some road trips where we went and did like um, steel factories and so forth. Detroit was a big union town back then and I couldn't get into the union as an assistant. There was the apprenticeship, and it was also way more closed than it became. Beverly Hills Cop came to town to shoot the second unit, hmm. and nobody was available. And so I knew this one assistant, Annie Lucas, who I never, I lost contact. Another name just popped up. She got me that job. I was a, a loader on Beverly Hills Cop, second unit. In Detroit, it was. I remember that that was the. It's when the cigarettes at the beginning. He opens up the semi, and right. Eddie Murphy's back there, who wasn't with us. But then the semi goes through that crazy trip all through that big stunt sequence. I was on that, and that is the answer. That's when I was like, "Oh, okay, not wing nuts and sheet metal. I got it." You were already there. You 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 were you know you 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 saw how the smoke and mirrors worked. What was it about? Was it just the the scale? Yeah, I think it was the content. It was like performances and story and character, and right. The industrial market wasn't that. You know the the, the most glossy thing we did would be you know a car commercial, and, and it was great training. I remember you know the big Sykes and. Using all the dulling spray to get the right light. But, you know, you'd sit back and some of those were just a beautiful product shot, which, by the way, I never shot cars. It's not my field. But shooting that, I moved out to California two years later, but I met a bunch of guys that I just worked my butt off for them. One of them, Michael Menardis and Todd Henry, another guy on it, gave me their cards and were like, hey, kid, if you ever come out, look us up. I moved out to California in 85, 86, I think, and looked them up. I, they didn't directly launch me, but they certainly motivated me. I used to hang out at Panavision and just try and see if I could jump onto somebody's job as a loader, second, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say I jumped onto a job that Hal Needham directed. It was my first thing I ever did, a movie called Body Slam. It was wrestling, early days, Roddy Rowdy Piper. I was going to be the... B camera first, and then the A camera first left. I got bumped up, and I literally, from that, as you guys probably have the same, from that job in San Bernardino, in 80-whatever, I could go, I met that guy, who met that guy, who met that guy, and eventually landed on a job where I met Efe. There you go. go. And that's the... uh, 
That's uh, the stepping stones that got Pepe Miller was, was the production manager on, on Tales from the Crypt and just a, a wonderful, wonderful person, a great character. Uh, what a we're, really? we're at some point we will do a, a whole episode. We're, we're going to do a, a tribute episode to F.A. Wonderfully deserved. F.A. just the, was, yeah, a really important. As I told you, he got me out of the farm club. And in, like, I think Tales was really one of, you know, that was my first leap into a really big, I'd done some serious stuff with Frank Lupo and John Ashley. I don't know if you knew those guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. We did a show called Werewolf. Sure. For a bunch of episodes. And I started as an operator on that. And got moved up on that to DP. I look at some of that lighting. <laughs> but I was primed enough and did a good enough job that F.A. saw it and was like, hey, because I, I came in with you guys on season three. Yeah. That, and F.A. Uh, brought me in. You had also. I, re I remember I remember having a conversation. Oddly enough, as you mentioned F.A.'s name, it just dawned on me. I remember a having a conversation about you, Rick Boda, with F.A., in terms of coming into tales, and I remember saying to him, "But, but, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't see what what he's done that would make me feel like he's got to be our DP when the rest of the world is out there." And I remember Fa saying, "You'll find out if, if you'll just meet with him. You'll find out, and if you give him an opportunity, I'm telling you, he'll be fine." I, I remember that like it was yesterday. Oddly enough, until you said it, I, I wouldn't even have put it together. <laughs> But as Justified. you said, F.A., it just all came back like, oh, my God, of course. Justified apprehension, because I was still, I was green compared to, because I think the Rob Draper, if I remember, was a seasoned guy and had left the show for whatever reason. But, We've yeah, F.A. Really? <laughs> That's what happened. Um, F.A., though, just, yeah, a sweet guy. What is that? You know, a soft talker, but carried a big stick as F.A. Yeah. relied yeah. on his pain. But he just was a, God, he was such a good UPM and all the guys I've worked with, because that dude knew how to shake the tree to get the fruit. And he could be a ball breaker, but he did it so nicely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. kindly. And, and it was really like, that adage that, you know, you just, I only saw him get pissed. Maybe I don't recall exactly when, but like if he ever showed the snarl, it was like, whoa, no, right. I'm not messing yeah. around, but. No, I think it was the best. I think he's, a, he, I think he's the best I've ever worked with. Hmm. Um, you know, he, he just knew his stuff and he knew how to get what we needed to get done in a, in a, in a way that didn't, you know, piss everybody off or piss anybody off. And he was just so gracious and so kind. Um, yeah, I think about him often, actually. The king of understatement. Yeah. Truly. Yeah, a good man. So, yeah, I owe that to F.A. bringing you guys and bringing me to you guys, you taking the shot on me. And like, I, you know, we, you guys have probably spent many hours talking about tales and how incredible. But for a young, starting, budding cinematographer, it was just the perfect, you know. Before you did tales, though, you did Haunted Lives, True Ghost Stories with, yeah. with us. Well, I went right over that one on IMDb. I was like, I'll <laughs> yeah, never yeah. mention that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, that that that's gotten a fair amount of play. You know, we had Levy Isaacs. We, we talked to him a couple episodes back, and, and he did one of the episodes. Yeah. Uh, which, which do you remember which episode I, you, I, you directed? You, you, you DP? I don't remember that. I don't. 
I, I, it's just one that I can't, I don't have too much recollection on that one. Well, we had, the, there was the Cape Morgan story, which was at the, the, the Coronado in San Diego, but that was Levy. There was, yeah. uh, I, I don't remember any of the others. I, 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 I yeah, that's a, that's kind of like a, I'm trying to even think who was the director on that. I, I just, I remember there's a story there, but I don't have it. I do recall that. It, the series was ahead of the curve, unfortunately. Then suddenly the whole world became exactly that kind of show. Yeah. You know, it was really, uh, it is insane that that show didn't become a raging success considering. Where it is became... today, but isn't like, I mean, you say that about all the groundbreaking shows. Yeah. I shot, I guess it's a cult movie, but Barbed Wire with Pamela Anderson. Sure. Oh, sure. And that movie did not do well. Right. That was Adam Rifkin, wasn't it? Adam Rifkin. And then I we there was another guy came in. You know, there was some politics that went on. Yeah. Yeah. But but you look at that film, it just didn't hit. It didn't land. Right. And then you, today you look at Marvel and DC and Wonder Woman and, and you're going like, wait, we did that 25, 30 years ago. And it, yeah. nobody liked it. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wanted it. Yeah, these these days, Marvel farts and, and the whole world goes goes insane. Right. You know, going back 25, 30 years, I mean, Alan and I uh, met with Stan Lee and we wrote a uh, we wrote a show with Stan Lee all those years ago. And Stan wasn't doing all that well. I mean, no, Stan he, he, was he, in need of he, money. He, and William Morris put us together and we came up with this show and we thought we had a great show and we couldn't sell it. Isn't it? it it's. It's crazy when you go back and look at some of the, the decisions. Yeah. I'm sure other you know, studios and networks look at it and go, whoops. Yep. yep. Fortunately, that did not happen with Tales from the Crypt. For oh, me, it was just such a great experience with the anthology and having all the different people come through. And You shot some amazing episodes. On a Dead Man's Chest, Billy Friedkin's episode. Great, great experience to work with. William Friedkin. Yeah. Um, that was a really, I have a really awe story on that, but it's so perfect. Like how to, you know, the the rough spots that you got to get over before you get sanded down in, in your yeah, yeah. field, both the craftsmanship and the personality, whatever. What, what were those five days? Four, five, four? days five, five days, five, five days, five shoot. After the fifth day and working at the end of the day, I just, tripping over cables to get to him to shake his hand and you know do the here's my card but i didn't but i'm like billy it was so nice to work with you i'm i'm so pleased i hope i hope you liked the episode and, and he goes it's great to work with you too dan <laughs> 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 like I, I just got like the, the balloon just popped and so we laughed about that for years <laughs> Here we go. Hey, how you doing, Dan? I was like, oh man. Look, we know the deal with the right uh, the Rolodex. Mine starts to get filled up, and I can't imagine his too. So I didn't take it personally, but at the moment it was like, oh shit. But yeah, I remember that one. And some of the when I look at the Tales episodes, because I remember that one, the dragon at the end, the tattoo. I just look at what we created, free CGI. Oh god, yeah. a practical puppet. And a, a complicated, tricky thing to try to pull off on a, on a five-day shoot with really one, a couple of hours in which to, to pull that off. And that was, that was the, the piece de results. 
I was looking at Stephen Hopkins' Stared in Horror episode. Yeah. And look at that whole opening chase. All of that on stage. That whole thing. Greg Melton. Big Greg Melton fan. And I don't think we ever worked together again. God, would I love to circle back and work with him. He was just such a creative force on that show. We had that whole stage. I don't remember what the, that would seem like. It was the one on Victory, maybe, or wherever that was over in Van Nuys. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah. We had, a, we had a change every year because yeah. you know they didn't give us the pickup until months after we finished, and I couldn't hold on to the we we couldn't hold on to the stage, so we would let them go, and Aaron Spelling would come and grab it as soon as we did it because we had fixed it up, we had put in offices, and we spent a little bit of money, so Aaron would just grab it, and every time I would go to Joel and Dick and Bob and Walter and say, you know, we should buy a warehouse, you know, we if we, if not tails, you guys are making other things, you'll use it. And they would go, get out of here. You buy a warehouse. We're not going to buy a warehouse. Go. And we, we never did it. So we were every year we were chasing our butt to get a warehouse that we would then have to fix up and, and build offices and then shoot it. On that particular episode, those were the days if we did forced perspective. And yeah. when he runs up to the house back there, there was like right, a little right, roof. And right, I was looking right. at the other day, you don't do forced perspective anymore. <laughs> you don't. You know, I mean, in the next couple of years, you won't even build anything anymore. It'll all be. Oh, why bother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, oh, another we'll couple of years, how, nobody, how it's changed. Another how, couple of years, nobody will even admit to having done force perspective. <laughs> you also did Forever Ambergris. Uh, you worked with Gary. Now, so you worked with Gary Fleeter on Crypt before you worked with him afterwards. I met Gary on. Um, Forever, which one was first, Seance or Forever Ambergris? I can't remember. I think Forever Ambergris. I think was Forever Ambergris was first. Roger Daltrey, kind yeah. of cool. Yeah. Every once in a while, we are not always. It was the director of the cast. Yeah. Yeah, we felt the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Alan and I would look I at each other. Really? Is Daltrey gonna actually play? Yeah, we got Daltrey. Yeah. That that was a that was a pinch me. Pinch me. He did great too. was hanging like, out with Daltrey. I know. Yeah, Gary and I uh, did that seance, and then we still are buds to this day. We are um, friend. We maintain that friendship. Actually, we're kind of old two old dudes surfing together. We get out weekly or every other week, and have done several things. He's he's been so good to me and brought me on. I've shot several things for him, and we're actually getting ready. Hopefully, fingers crossed. It's early, but we're probably going to be doing a little horror film. Oh, great. Good, good. Yeah. But oh. yeah, Forever Grammar Amber Oh, and Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Terrific cast. Whirlpool with Mick Garris. And and your performance. And, and me, it was it was my uh Iggy my, or Iggy? For Christ's sake, Sean, I got uh, yeah, it was wow, man. That's it. Wow. Boy. Yeah. Richard Lewis, I remember that. Yeah, that that was um, Mick Garris, right? Yeah, it was Mick. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it was, he cast Rita Rudner as as the lead, which was, hey, to 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 Mick's credit, he was thinking outside the box, casting wise, uh, way ahead of the curve, and yeah. and I, I I was not happy with the choice because I don't know. To me, it just it just it screwed something up inside my head, and and, and so I think to make it up for me, to make it up to me, he he cast me. Um, did great. I was like, I was more than just like a walk on. That was like a full on. 
Well, well, I always you know, thought he was making it up to me. I always thought he was making it up to me when he cast you, Alan. <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing was about that script, it was the same scene played like 10 times. And so yep. really, I had to remember two two lines, which I was going to say again and again and again. Really, was it was it wasn't it wasn't challenging. Um, anyway, um, that has the great all of them had. So, you know, it was the whole Talesman Crypt ending. It's always I remember, you know, my I mean, I have a few favorites, but Forever I Agree was, you know, cinematically and just story. I love that episode. Great line. Scott Rosenberg. War is hell, Dal Dalton, but it sure makes you sleep good. Do you remember, did you guys, I don't know if, because Scott and Gary were friends, and I always remember Scott, I don't know if that was his treatment, or if he wrote that, or if it was Scott his... wrote the script, yeah. Yeah. And and Gary, Gary was, was very protective of Scott's work, and and whenever I would attempt to 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 revise uh, Scott, Gary would, would insist that I put Scott's uh, dialogue back, and so that's usually what, what we did. Uh, Scott's done very well for himself, he's... Yeah, he's uh, he yeah, he and Gary are still uh, friends to this day as well. Um, and then the other one, one of my other favorites, I just liked and it's nothing cinematically. I loved what we did, but it was um, Easel Kill Ya. Oh, John yeah, sure. <clears throat> Gorgeous. That's great just, looking, great looking show. And I just that just captured like the whole the, the artist that had to go get the paint with real blood. That that episode's one of them, still my favorites. It just, it just was a great looking episode. It's really good. I don't know how to buy it. Then, of course, there's You Murderer, Bob Z's last episode. When when Gil and I went up and, and had lunch with him, he, he said, you know, after, after we had lunch, all right, guys, all I know is I want to do a complete subjective camera show from the point of view of a dead guy. That's all I know. Oh, and I want the dead guy to be played by Humphrey Bogart. Okay, how are we going to do this, guys? If somebody watch that episode and see what you guys, because you wrote that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a very clever and must have been a painstaking way to write a script, to know that you have to land. It was hard, man. That was a yeah. puzzle. It was a, a real puzzle because, you know, all right, in order to, there were 18... I think there are 18 uh, film inserts where we, we suddenly see a reflective surface and we see Humphrey Bogart. And he's, I think in almost all of them, he says he says a line of dialogue. Well, we had to, to create a justification to get into the line and a justification on the other side of the line. And so sometimes, you know, we, 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 would, we had these great pieces of film that we wanted to use and and uh, the puzzle was bending the story to make them work it was all subjective camera so it almost felt like it was supposed to feel like it was one shot you yes. know yeah. and we yeah. just kept going and going and you know we we had these inserts of of humphrey bogart that we could only we couldn't do it as an insert we had to do it on a reflective surface on some right. kind of so we had to figure out okay what is the reflective surface for this how many times can you go past a, a mirror or or a or a, a, a desk with a piece of glass on it yeah yeah we had to get more and more clever but you guys are really coming up with all those because there was a flask there was yeah. the mirror in the, <laughs> the thing the obviously mirrors and there was just so many yeah i remember that episode very well because also that was uh, um that was my on camera that's the closest i've ever got to being on camera all that stuff oh like yeah I, yeah, I was yeah, in yeah wardrobe yeah. you know so all the hand checking and all the reaching was stuff but i still look at that and i go oh yeah i remember that i 
I guess I have that. That was John Lithgow and Isabella Rossellini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the the challenge of of shooting it because uh, all right, you know the. We never rehearsed, but for that episode, we had a couple of days of rehearsal, not just because it was Zemeckis and the rehearsal wasn't for the the, the, the cast. It was for it was for the you camera. all. It was for the crew. So the, yeah. the crew had to be able to choreograph each and every shot so as not to, to suddenly yeah. end up on camera. I just remember on that particular show where we'd put lights and I go, you know, Bob, we we're coming through the door and we're going to end up on Lithgow on the floor. Like, I don't know. Do I? Hang? He goes, just leave, light up from the floor. We'll take him out. That was like the, one of the first times, huh? <laughs> no, no, don't worry about it. We'll just erase the lights out. <laughs> I don't get that. And now, of course, it's just, you know, it's part of the yeah, language. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's all different lights, right? We just got so many different instruments now and LEDs. And I, those are still back in the days of big HMIs or ARCs or whatever. Right, we right. Having Bob Zemeckis directing certainly helped but i was nominated for a um an asc award that year and i was just so right, grateful right, right. to him that you know you know the deal it's like wait who who rick but what what's the oh Zemeckis directed it that's yeah. great <laughs> it was a good episode well written guys Thank by the you. way speaking of you know bringing my the the stepping stones that of my career, you know, meeting you guys and just meeting all those directors, it was a really important part of like where I branched off in my career. But also now, you know, I started directing about 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that started by me in the same way that F.A. Gil, the, the look he must have given to F.A. when he was mentioning me was the same look you gave me when I came in, I think like season two. And I was like, Gil, do you think I could direct what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but what you did do was I directed, I didn't really, because Kevin Yeager, we, I lit and just sort of placed the cameras for the Cripsy Keeper segments but, segments. but I don't know if you remember, but you guys helped me get into the DGA. Right. And that was a huge bonus for me then you know that paid off years later that i was able to work the dga jobs but i always remember that and a tip of the hat and a sincere thank you for like yeah the opportunities you guys provided me creatively and inspirationally well thanks for saying that want a little more champagne <laughs> when i started directing the crypt keeper wraparounds with you i mean you were you were you were the, the cinematographer um that collaboration to me i remember that vividly and i remember it very fondly because it was so great it was so damn i love when that happens electrifying creatively for me because i would say okay look i'm thinking of doing this and and then you would say yeah well let's put, let's put the smoke there make the smoke red make it blue let's move the camera this way let's go right through the smoke and i'd be sitting there going Shit, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> we would play off of each other, and all of a sudden, we were shooting something. I'd go, this is unbelievable. This is better than I could have thought of. I really remember is to inspire one another. Hell, why didn't I think of that? It's just the best way to be working yeah. together. So we did. Yeah. We inspired each other. Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah, I remember those Crypt Keeper segments that we, I don't know, was it standing set? I think we kind of put them at the end, or? Was it, I can't remember. I remember making time. We'd go over and shoot one of those. But yeah, we would we would have the set for the Crypt Keeper. Um, that sometimes changed because of who he who who is portraying, whether it was a chiropractor or a beetle or a God knows what. Yeah. Um, but that we would that we would put him in these different sets, 
Um, but then, you know, how do we light light it? How do we make it look like it's crypt, Tales from the Crypt as well, and yet make it different every year, every week? And you play the gag. And that was the challenge. By the way, that the Crypt Keeper segments were truly smoke and mirrors because <laughs> oh, we had man. those we had these little things in the back with broken mirror pieces and we'd shine the lights to get that shimmering light yeah. always yeah, fogging yeah. up, you know, yeah, using yeah. whatever we use back then to smoke it up. And then Kevin and his guys, the puppeteers, that was just, those were fun, but well, so well can't be written. You guys. Well, don't, don't forget, don't forget there were six puppeteers to yeah. run the crypt, to run the crypt right. keeper. And then we had to hide them. Yeah. I mean, there are six guys with their hands in various parts of the crypt yeah. keeper body making it move and we had to hide all that yeah it was always strange when you know they would they would you know gill or kevin would, would yell action or and suddenly the crypt keeper would would come to life yeah he'd do the scene and hey you know I, I wrote the damn thing i know he's a fucking puppet and yet something happens inside your head and suddenly i don't know he just becomes real and then he'd finish and cut and he would sag back onto the desk. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is going over and like holding a meter. And if the guys were all puppet, they take them and turn them toward you and you just, just whoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You know, I don't know if you remember when I watch, um, and I, I'd love to ask you how you, because I love the camp of it, I'm setting it up. So I don't want to force you into liking it. But I remember when we had the discussion for the, the wraparound on, um, what was the movie theater? Was that Demon Knight or was that House on Haunted Hill? That was Demon Knight, right? Yes, yeah, that was Demon Knight, yeah. In we, Westwood? We in, in Westwood, yeah, yeah. Westwood, because you directed that. And, yeah. And I remember we were talking once you, you, the, the, I had the, that the, question. Gil directed the Crypt Keeper segment. Crypt Keeper, yeah. Ernest Dickerson directed the movie. Right, yeah, yeah. Which we'll talk about shortly. Good catch. But Gil, we were like, how can we get the rose to come down through the dirt? <laughs> And, you know, of course, now it would be a whole, first of all, just be all completely animated CGI. And you'd go like through the rows, maybe and through things. But we were like, what do we do? And we ended up doing half a wall. And it was almost like we were, we sliced the earth in half. And then he saw the rows go down. And then today I look at it and I go, man, that is so campy and so good. It's just <laughs> like. I love that rose going down. And I can't, I don't know if that's at the end or the beginning, but. The end, I think. Yeah. yeah. Since we're at Demon Knight, uh, 25, well, more than 25 years after the fact, that is considered a horror, a classic horror movie by, by people who love horror movies. Well-deserved. That's a fun film. That's a fun action horror film. I still remember shooting so ever, you know, you can go to certain scenes and just look and go, oh, I remember that night shooting Bill Williams Sadler out in yeah. that car. And then we did some of it on stage too. But yeah, that was a wonderful, um, that was like an old hangar or something, right? Didn't we shoot that in the hangar? Out Van Nuys in Airport. Yeah, Van Nuys Airport. Yeah. 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 Great cast. Had a wonderful Same cast. Oh, terrific cast. Billy Zane, of course, Bill Sadler is always. Uh, a pleasure to 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 work with Jada, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Dick Smith. Um, no, I mean, you know er Dick, Miller. Dick Miller. Yeah, Dick Miller. You know, Ernest is up here shooting a TV thing right now. Called me up, and I saw him last weekend and the weekend before. Uh, we spent all day Saturday together with our wives, and uh, it was just great. It was just so nice, you know, just chatting and spending the 
the day. He is a good human being. I like that man a lot. Yeah. Every time I see him, you know, like I say, we all are getting older and sometimes and you just pop in on somebody, you don't always remember remember their name. You got to, and every time I bump in him somewhere, he goes, Why do you say that, Dan? <laughs> oh, that's such, boom. I served it up. I know my new name. <laughs> but yeah, Ernest did a great job. And also, I don't know if you've talked film. Ernest is a film resource like no other he Ooh. knows Ooh. every horror film every just about every genre but all, and all cultures too all the, the hong kong films and the early japanese films film you know he, he's a wealth of knowledge had a mm. great time working with ernest you know after that toby hooper and ernest and i um we we became quite close quite friendly and well actually me and toby first and then ernest joined us and we used to meet at the uh uh Muso Franks. Muso Franks, right. Uh at, like at seven o'clock at night we'd have dinner and then we would close the place up. They would ask us to leave like around midnight. Uh because they were closing at eleven. Wanna go home. Go, yeah. go. And 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 we called it the, the Whale and Ale Club. And uh, and Jeannie would join us once in a while, my wife. And we would just sit there and talk. And we wouldn't we didn't have we had no idea how much time had passed. And then finally they would throw us out and we'd go. How, we've been here four hours. We've been here five hours. How could that be? Good friends, we, good, good friends sharing good stories. Yeah, yeah, it was just fun. Uh, Todd invited me. I must have been already five. I'm, I'm going to go. It was it last week? No, it was five years ago. Yeah. Todd put together a little, I think, 25th something for Demon Night, and they mm -hmm. rented a screen. And I don't think would, would I see. I could. I could have seen you. Were you there, Alan? I think Gil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we must have seen each other there, but yeah. I. I, I it, it, was, it was a bunch of years ago. Yeah, whatever it was, but it was so great to see it on the big screen. Yeah. yeah. Was the ending, that was all practical effects, wasn't it? I think that was all Todd Masters stuff. Yeah, or... yeah, with the, the, the demons emerging from, from the ground, it was, was practical. Yeah, yeah that, I, I do remember that. Because of, to me, it seems like the, the one time we got into some CG and it was early, was on um, House on Haunted Hill. And that was just the ending up in the attic when the the creature, the the dust or the mist or whatever that black creature ooze was. Yeah. yeah. And that was another fun film to shoot, Bill Malone. Uh you had a a good an enjoyable creative time on, on that project? House in Haunted Hill? Yeah. Jeffrey Rush, such an amazing guy to work with. That was a challenge because we we I, I think it was Greg, but it could have been. No, I don't remember who the production designer was. It wasn't Greg. Wish I knew. But he did a great job, but he built that whole, that set was kind of all connected. We spent that in most of that entire production in that set. So mm -hmm. that was a challenge, you know, trying to come up with and for build, but just trying to find angles and and not get bored of the same lighting and the same shots. But yeah, that was yeah. a real challenge to spend that schedule in there. It was. It sounds like um, Greg didn't do uh, Demon Knight either. Uh, Ernest had his own guy, a uh, Christian Wagner, that that he had designed the set. And you know the thing that that Greg did that I, I think he did better than than Christian Wagner did was he made the set accessible to the crew. And we had problems on Demon Knight. I remember because we built that whole church inside the airplane yep. hangar. Yeah. But there were walls that could not be moved. Yeah. And so there were shots that could not be had. 
I do. Now that you're saying that, you're bringing up some old memories of going up. We also shot up on that second floor. And anytime you got to move a crew up a floor on stage with like, like, if I remember correctly, we had just two staircases on either side. Yeah. You must have had a back entrance too. But yeah, it's it's like your guys show, it's the nuts and bolts of filmmaking. I mean, what you see is is took a shit ton of work and good creative minds to get there. And, you know, when you've done it the right way, when you when you do it not quite the right way or or even worse the wrong way oh it just hurts because you know how to do it better yep every show you learn a little something else right and on that one whatever you know if there were some design flaws on that you for somebody on the next show can actually whether it be a key grip or a dolly grip who had to lug it up there could say can i make a suggestion and the smart ones go absolutely that's one thing we're sure yeah, it's one thing I do on when on the cruise is I I like to just sort of put it out there at the beginning, whether I'm shooting or directing, it's like all ideas are good and valued. If you got something to say, let's let's all build let's build this ship together. Hmm. But um yeah, equipment into sets has always been the bane of the the grips and the electricians, if it's not designed as such. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you segue into directing. I did. I started with a couple of those Crypt Keeper wraparounds and then that got the, you know, the DJ. And then it just it was piecemeal. You know, I would do a series and somebody would say, you know, if you did the second season, it's like that sweeten the pot by giving me an episode. And then it, they just started to not just be a throwaway. And I was able to just build upon that. And then when often I, I don't know. I put it, if I look at my credit list, I just go, God, I forgot about that one as well. The years just pass, the jobs just keep going and sure, somehow sure. you make a living, carve it out. Uh, in 2002, thereabouts, suddenly you get involved with Hellraiser, the Hellraiser franchise. Which do you find more exhilarating, Trevor? The pain or the pleasure? Personally, I prefer pain. That was actually through Gary Fleeter. Gary was doing Imposter. So I came in and did a second unit that Gary fought for me to get again. He's just been a a huge uh, friend and advocate for me throughout the career. But, But yeah, somehow Andrew Roan over there offered to do you know do you want to do back in those it was called the direct now it's streaming back then it was direct to dvd mm-hmm. right so he said do you want to direct or it was part of the negotiation we'll give you a direct to dvd film sure and it was like hellraiser i was a fan of hellraiser the movie the original Hel- clive barker all of the first because i think the one i did was number six yeah and i was a big fan of the first three but yeah, I got an opportunity to do, I did one, they loved it, and I did two more. That was like the first sort of like creative feature that I got to do and and be a part of and design and, you know, as opposed to coming in on a series where it's like, here's your days, here's your cast, here's oh, your brief. Yeah, so, you're just a traffic up. cop on on a TV series. Yeah. Um, but one of the most thrilling parts of that show, of, from my experience, was meeting with Clive Barker. I got to sit down. I with was going to ask you about that. You 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 got to sit down, and and uh, first of all, he he approved of you to to take over the franchise. 
Well, at that time, he wasn't. There was some deal made that they he wasn't a part of it. I think right. they had licensed it away. I, I don't know if, exactly what it was, but I do remember getting a call, and he was not all that pleased that had he. I don't. I thought he had been informed, but he wasn't because <laughs> I did one in Vancouver and then two in Romania. But I remember that my then wife was my daughter's mom, and phone rang. These phones. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh it's clive parker he invited me sort of to see the cut and so on the down low i went over and showed him the cut and he really liked it what such a gratifying and relieving experience to have him actually be watching it and then at the end be very complimentary of it, it, it was, it was yeah, i was really pleased it was a, you know those are tough to do too because you talk about being a traffic cop but shooting those i think we did it I mean, now it's not that uncommon, but it was a 20-day schedule, which I guess is okay now. We've been, I've done, a, I think I've done them in 17 for a movie of the week. But you know the deal. 20 days is your hustling to get the work yeah. done. Yeah. But yeah, that was, so I did that one, and then they liked it enough to, to give me two more. Anytime you get to travel and film, I love it. Because you not you get to experience a different country, a different city, but more than just the people and the restaurants, you really like immersed in the culture day to day, you know, become a family on the set. Mm -hmm. But and, and, as a fan of the series, what did you try to bring to it that wasn't there before? You know, by the time you get, you know, you get to number six, I mean, there's a reason why they had a young director or not so young, but unseasoned director because i did it for whatever they were offering and agreed to the 20 days but um but the first one um i wanted to go back to you know we sort of i they give you a script and then we sort of developed it but um what do you we didn't i didn't write it but we just sort of shepherded it into oh, a direction sure, sure of course but we put back in the original uh ashley lawrence who was in the original so we tried to go back to the try to get some like the fans of the series by number six introduce some of the characters we're used to right in doug bradley who was the who's pinhead at the time mm -hmm. but i just wanted to get back that was always that was a thrill to go back to the original and try and you know nod you nod or tip of the hat to it having been involved in 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 successful franchises like tales from the crypt you know it what makes it work is a very particular thing what the audience loves about it is a very particular thing or a couple of things uh the audience for uh the hellraiser series was very passionate i'm not gonna say it's cheating but i really wanted to just deliver what i liked in the first one and then i went back and studied it and we did you know, there was some certain lighting and certain reveals of Pinhead when he came in and the to change that had kind of got lost in like four and five. And then what about that. what about the, the core mythology in, in the, the Hellraiser series? Uh, yeah, we, grabs you. I mean, it's kind of you have to really serve that up on all of them, because, you know, by that time, you have to stay true to the mythology. Indeed. Like it's the franchise. Yeah. I spent a good part of my youth in a dark room and developed, you know, a, a knack for shooting and shadows and contrasts and lenses. But I also was into comic books and horror films. I mean, I loved all, you know, it's kind of cliche. Every horror buff would say, well, I was when I was a kid, but I truly did love the old, you know, the original Lon Chaney werewolves and 
Invisible Man and the King Kongs and Godzilla was a big fan of. And we, me and my brothers had all those little, I think they were Mattel, Rydell, most models that I could mm. still smell mm. those little jars of paint that we used to put the models together and paint them. So to come back and then later actually be filming horror and kind of knowing what scared me, I, I just had, I don't know. I don't know if I have a knack for it or let other people decide that, but I certainly do enjoy it. I love a good scary sequence and bringing it all together from lighting to camera to performance and to music and sound effects. I don't have to preach another choir on that, right? Right. Obviously, there, there are still mountains for you to climb. Yeah, I'm still enjoying it. Like I said, I have a, um, a great possibility. Well, it's something that's kind of rolling ahead. It's a little early, but it's, it's, it's really going to be a great little movie. And it's a total creature feature. So hmm. I'll know more in the next month or so. But when that gets going, I'll hopefully invite you both to the <laughs> to the premiere. But you know how that goes. Hey, That's hey, hey, man. Uh, I, we, we both hope we, we get to attend one. Yeah. I got one last question for you. What's your favorite surf spot? Uh, we surf out at Paradise Cove. In fact, we're going out tomorrow at 1 p.m. at low tide. Well, say hi to Gary for us, will you? I haven't seen well, Gary in 100 years, boy. I haven't seen him in a long, long time. He is, you know, he he really came out of the gates on Tails. I think that was his yeah. first thing after USC. Joel saw his film or something and, and put him on Forever Amigree, and he's been nonstop since. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely will pass it along. Yeah. Um, he's he's uh, alumni as well, so maybe he'll do we will see him on this podcast. We would uh, we would love to have a conversation. So uh, hey, we we we'll, we'll probably get you to slip us his. Uh, you definitely will. His information. Absolutely. And, and then he'll never get away from us. Right. He'll be yeah. doomed. Yeah, we're gonna go tomorrow. With any luck, we won't either. We won't hurt ourselves. You know, <laughs> when you're young, you're having a blast, and oh, I'm out surfing, and now it's like you come in and you go, you're limping in the door, and go, "Where are you surfing?" Uh huh. And then I'll close on this that I still hold and have in my office. This is the parking <laughs> placard. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And back in the day when like, it's not a piece of paper that somebody printed in the printer, like this is like a piece of cardboard. Right. Like. You could board up a window with that for fuck's sake. <laughs> Anyhow, it was a thrill and so great. And I really will I'll close on and say how grateful I am to you guys to put up with me, to have me, but also to for us to just have that experience together. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, mine too, mine too. And especially doing those wraparounds with you was just just great, it was just magic. It really was just magic. Likewise, yeah, it's a good group of people once in a lifetime. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, thank you again, Rick. And Thanks see again. You next time. We'll see you next time, everybody. The How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast. Follow them for what my old pal the Crypt Keeper would have called terrific Crypt content.